church, in this place, could we just uh, just spend some time focusing on who God is? Say, God, here's, here's my life. God, thank you for creating everything that we know, including our, our lives. God, I pray for each and every one of us today that in this place you'll teach us who you are. And God, we would focus in on who you are. And God, this would be about you. And thank you for bringing us here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, wow. Good looking people out here. We say this every week. I think we're getting better looking. Maybe it's because we're getting closer to Christmas and all our Christmas sweaters come out. I don't know. If you've uh, never been to, first, uh, to Church Project, then uh, we're glad that you're here. I'd encourage everyone to have a Bible in front of you. And so if you do not have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles on, both, on, on the lamps on both sides. You can either go grab one of those or just raise your hand and we'll throw it at you. Uh, and that's our gift to you if you don't even own a Bible. But at Church Project, we, we want to have the Bible in front of you. Um, not that projecting the Bible uh, verses up on the screen is bad, but man, how awesome is it that you can hold the living word right in your own lap, that you can highlight and write in it and take it with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's transforming, and that's why we focus everything we do around the Bible. Uh, so we're glad that you're here today. Uh, if you would, open up this Bible to Luke chapter 22. We've been going through Luke for uh, almost two years now, just over two years, and we're going verse by verse through Luke, and we're looking at the truth that God has put in there for us and how that relates for us today. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 34. We're going to tackle 10 verses today. Last week, we did three verses. And at that rate, we'd be in Luke for the rest of our lives. So we sped it up a little bit. We're going to get 10 verses. How's that sound? Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 34. You can find Luke in your Bible. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So here we go. Jack's laughing at me. (laughs) Or you can look it on your smartphone. It'll look it up right away. So let's look up Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 34. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. This is a dispute amongst the, the apostles, the disciples that are with Jesus at this time. And he said to them, the kings, the people that are in authority, Of the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called the benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at, at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And this is Jesus talking to them. Verse 28, you are, those who have, uh, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. 
And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Huh. These are some beautiful, beautiful verses that we read right here. And as you look at verse 24, a dispute rose among them as to which one was going to be regarded the greatest. And the, the Greek word for this word dispute means to desire to argue or ready to quarrel. So as you look at this word, the, the disciples right here, what are they? They're ready to quarrel. A dispute rose up amongst, amongst them. What are your hot buttons? And what I mean by hot buttons are this, okay? I have some hot buttons, and I'm ready to quarrel at any moment if these buttons are touched, okay? One is, if I am too cold, I'm ready to quarrel. That's a hot button, right? If I'm hungry, watch out. I'm ready. Like, it, it's, it's going down. What's, what's another one? If I'm tired. I mean, if I'm tired, so here's the worst. If you ever catch me and it's really cold and I'm sleepy and I, and I haven't eaten, just run. Run away. I'm ready to quarrel at that, mom, at that moment. Any of you have hot buttons? Every one of you have hot buttons. Look to the person to your right and to the left and go, I know what they are and, and don't push them, okay? We, we all have these hot, hot buttons. and The disciples, they're, they're ready to quarrel and I don't know what their circumstances were exactly as to get them to the point where they're ready to quarrel. But as we think of our life, think about the people you have in your life. Coworkers, do you know how to push their buttons? Spouses? friends, family. So my brother and I, we, we shared a room growing up and, and we would sleep in the same uh, room together. And I had a hot button that I love to push. I'm the, I'm the older brother. So my hot button was this. We, we would go to bed and about 10 minutes in, right when you should be fading asleep, right? I pulled out an apple from underneath my pillow and started eating it. <laughs> try it. It's awesome. I mean, he would get so mad. He'd start punching me right away. And I'm just laughing because it didn't hurt. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I loved pushing that hot button. But what hot buttons do you have? What gets you to the point where you're ready? You're ready to quarrel. You're ready to go for it. And as we think about our coworkers and our family and the people around us, do we know what, what those hot buttons are? More than hot buttons, when I'm ready to quarrel, when I'm ready to quarrel when this is it, when I haven't been looking at the face of my king. Like more than me being hungry, more than me being cold, more than those hot buttons that you can push to get me ready to quarrel, the bottom line is this. I'm ready to quarrel when I have not been looking at the face of my king. I'm ready to quarrel when I am me-focused, when I go about my day and I'm focused about me, I'm not thinking about you. I'm not thinking about other people. I'm ready to quarrel then. I'm ready to quarrel when my perspective is off. It's incredible. Sometimes events happen in our life that just kind of wake us up and bring us back to perspective and, and align things to what is truly matters again. But when my perspective is off, I'm ready to quarrel with you over small, stupid stuff. I know none of you do, Maybe. What causes us to get to the point where we're ready to quarrel? I'm ready to quarrel when I'm not happy with who I am. Now, that, that's, that's, that's being really honest there. Like, if I've come home at the end of the day and I just haven't accomplished what I thought I could accomplish, or things didn't quite go my way, and I'm not really even feeling good about who I am and my perspective is off, I'm ready to quarrel. 
Watch out Zoe, Audra, and Lauren. I mean, watch out the people that I'm being around with the most. See, what causes us to quarrel? And I think it really does come down to quarreling. Well, I'm ready to quarrel. It's on my lips. I'm ready to go and I'm ready to attack. I'm ready to use this weapon to cut you because I'm thinking that I'm superior to you. I'm not serving you at that point. The disciples, as they're getting ready to quarrel with each other, they're they're not focused on serving each other. They're focused on themselves, their own desires. And church, I, I warn us as we go about our days, are we finding our identity in Christ and who he is and who we are in him? Or do we move about our days focused in on who we are, the me centered life? Well, the disciples right here, they're concerned with their role um, in the future kingdom. They're saying this future kingdom that, that Jesus, you're going to usher in. Uh, I know you said you're, you're about to die. I, I, I get that. So when you do, am I going to be the next king? Like, am I going to rule this? They're focused in on selfish needs at this time. They're ready to quarrel. It's about power. It's not about service to them. They want dominance, and it's dominating their thinking. They think that the way they think is better than the current situation, the current scenario. You know, we're a church plant, and I, I, I love this. Like, we, we started this thing a couple years ago just from scratch, and, and here we are. And it's just been people that God has been bringing together that love God. And, and we just want to love God. We want to study the scripture. We want to do this thing and, and do it together. And, and God's building our community, and I think we've got an incredible community. I love what God's doing with Church Project. But I would warn us, if we were to start this church plant out of bitterness at other churches, thinking that we could do it better, how arrogant and how off base is that? Like, church is one body. It's, it's all over the place. And to think that we have got it cornered on how to do it and who God is? Come on. If you believe in who God is as the Messiah, the King, then do we pray for our brothers and sisters, including the ones that aren't coming to Church Project, the ones that are going to other churches in in the community of Greeley? So I wanted to kind of set this up in verse 24 and really talk about the dispute. What causes us to to get to the point where we're ready to go? Like we're ready to fight, ready to hit the wrestling mat and go. We're going to tear someone up. We get down to verse uh, 25 through 27. And his disciples said to him, the kings... And you already know this. The kings are the ones in authority during during this time. The kings of the Gentiles excuse lordship or exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. And that title was used for the Syrian kings. And it really meant friends, but it really didn't mean friends. Look at verse 26. But not so with you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But, those buts in this Bible, man, they get me every time. But, I am among you as the one who, what does your Bible say? Serves. Jesus. He's sitting. He's saying the world around us, they're kings and they're the ones that everyone serves and you come along and you hold them up as your king. But I, I am the creator of everything. I have created everything and what am I doing? I am serving. I've reversed the roles. You want to be great? 
be one that serves. Be one that does as Jesus does as we're looking at this and we've seen throughout all of Luke and the entire Bible speaks and shows of Jesus as his servant leadership, the one that loves his people and the world at large. So I've been going to seminary. You ready for some seminary knowledge? Everyone's like, no, come on, this is ridiculous. So actually, this was a fun class that I took this semester, and it was on leadership. And here are 10 theories in leadership recognition. You ready? We're going to get educated today. It's going to be good. 10 theories in leadership recognition. This is how you can realize who, who leaders are. First one is leaders are born. They're, they're just born. They're just born. Leaders are not made. They are just born. You're, you're born a leader. And that, that kind of comes from the trait theory. And the trait theory says, you know, if you're a 6'6 male and you have a deep voice, you, like, you look like the leader, so you must be the leader. You know, we see this, um, you know, in, in a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and, and we have the, you know, the, I'm the leader, whoever it may be. And, and there's some flaw in that. We, we see this in, in the blue blood, the, the English, you know, you're born, you're, you're royalty, you are the leader, okay? Did you like my accent? You're laughing at my accent. You must be a drama major, okay? Uh, we, we even see this as we look back in history at, at even Hitler and the Aryan nation. If you weren't born and you didn't look a certain way, um, then you weren't a leader, right? So there's some flaws to that. There's some truth to that as well. Uh, another theory is power. If you have the title, you've got the power. If you're president, that's it. Like people just, and, and all of us, we operate in this theory, I guarantee at some level, especially if you have kids, because if they've ever said, why do I have to do that? And you go, because I said you do. Bam! Power, like, you, you're like the leader. Another theory is paternalism. That one's hard to say. That one is, you know, uh, shepherds. The leaders are shepherds. They, they love the people. They're followers. A, a lot of the examples that you'll see, hopefully, are, are pastors or those that lead with, with just empathy. And they, they love the people that they're serving, that they're leading. Another, man, we're going to rattle through these. Another one of these is contingency. Leaders do different things and different styles to, to lead, depending upon what the style is needed. Another theory is charisma. These are the leaders that are attractive. And they attract. A couple examples, Martin Luther King Jr., very attractive. People are attracted to him. Rock stars, everyone's attracted to a rock star. They lead with charisma, right? Like Jeremy, charisma. <laughs> Another theory is historical determination, and that says great, ne- um, great necessities call forth great leaders. And as we, we can think back of Geronimo, like no one said, Geronimo, you're a leader. It just, he, he arose to the occasion. His, history said, you're leading now, and, and that was kind of it. Another one is transaction-based. Leaders make deals to create followers. Um, <laughs> warning. If you are in a marriage and your, your marriage is transaction-based, transactional-based, marriage doesn't work like that. You do this and I get this. I give you this and I get this. That could be, we need counseling marriage 101 if, if you're operating in that for your marriage. Um, reason-based, leaders lead by ideas. 
This is oftentimes when the, you know, we see all the, the lies, sorry. We see all the, the candidates say, vote for me and I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And they start to play to our reason. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So we'll vote for them. They're obviously a leader. Um, and then the, the, the last one I want to talk about is consensus-based. I'm a leader because I've convinced you as followers to buy into the program. Like, that, that's it. All these, these are just, just worldly things that, that you can kind of look at for a leader. But what do we see in Jesus as we look at all this? We see Jesus in the ultimate form of leadership. And that is, Jesus was a servant leader. He wasn't focused on him. He was focused on those that he was leading. We see a man that loves. We see man that, that loves his disciples at this point. And he says, if, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you're going to make it about something other than yourself. And the disciples, what are they doing right here? They're arguing. They're bickering. They're saying, yeah, but I was born into this. I have the power. I'm the rock star. Whatever it may be, whatever that is there, all of it fails in comparison to Jesus who's leading in the best possible way. And that is by serving and loving. And Jesus was a living example of a humble, humble servant. At Church Project, we've been walking through the formation of eldership. We're getting to the point where we're saying, okay, we're going to have plurality of leadership. And, and we're going to be people that are driving this thing together in unison. So if something happens to Aaron Havens or something happens to Chad Harding or any of our, of our leaders, we can all keep going and our church doesn't fail. It keeps going. It's plurality of leadership. And as we've been going through this, one of the section of verses that we've been looking at is 1 Peter 5. Let me, let me read a little bit of 1 Peter 5 here. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This form of leadership is so foreign to the world we live in. The world we live in says, watch out for yourself. Make sure people are submitting to your authority. And doing what you're saying. And God says, you want to be great? Then serve. And remember where Jesus is at, where we're at in this time. He's sitting in, and he's, he's, they're having communion together. And Jesus literally is going to go tomorrow in, in this context of this verse. He's going to go tomorrow and what's he going to do? He is going to die. It's going to be the most unselfish thing that you could do. And why is he going to do that? He's doing that for humanity at large. He's serving to the point of death. So we get down to verse 28 through 30. You are those who have stayed 
with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And these verses right here, just these three verses, it, it is best to understand this uh, promise is referring to the time when believers will share in the benefits of Jesus and they will share in his kingly rule. It's best to understand these three verses just metaphorically uh, referring to participating in the time when God will, will bring his kingdom to be and we will be sitting with Jesus. That's all I'm going to say on those verses. If you want to learn more, go study them. <laughs> now let's get down to verse 31. Simon, Simon. That's my Nacho Libre right there, okay? I did that one on purpose. Okay. Simon, Simon. Uh, I don't know what it was like for you growing up. Aaron James Havens. Watch out. Mama's coming for me. Like, I've done something. Any of you? The repeat, the use of the middle name, the, hey, Simon, Simon. Jesus called him Simon. Notice he called him Simon, not Peter. Peter means the rock. He knows that Simon Peter is about to go through a couple days where he's not necessarily a rock. We're going to see that. He's looking at him. He's going, Simon, Simon, I want your attention. I wonder if Jesus is saying it in a stern way. He's saying, Simon, Simon, almost a voice of disapproval or scorn or reproof. Just saying, Simon, Simon, Aaron, James, Havens. Like, pay attention to this. Behold, Satan demanded to have you. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded. Oops, sorry. <clears throat> Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Demanded, in, in, this, in, in the original text right here, this word is ex, exateo, okay? And exateo is with emphasis, and, and it's with implication of having a right to do so. And so Satan is, is talking to Jesus, and he's saying, like, he has a right to do so. He's talking to Jesus and saying, give them to me. I have the right to do so. But it's also a plea, and it's also an ask, and, and Satan is asking Jesus right now. Satan must ask God for permission. And then he goes and explains why. So Satan is talking and says, give me them. Because I'm going to sift them out. And God has to give him permission. Jesus has to give him permission to do so. Well, what is sifting out? What is that? Well, that is shaking grain through a strainer and just removing all the impurities and all the stones. And so we're looking at this verse right here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded, he's asked for you, that he might sift you like wheat. I went back to the original text for this one, especially for the word you. Because when we get to you, it's, it's a plural. 
It's not singular. It's plural. So Jesus is looking at Simon saying, Simon, Simon, Satan wants you. He wants the disciples. He wants the church. How, what does this mean to us? Satan wants us. He's coming after us. And why is he coming after us, church? He wants to sift us like we. He wants to destroy us. He wants to come at us. He wants to separate us from the love of God. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy every single one of us in this room. And Jesus is looking and he's saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He wants to destroy you. In verse 32. But I have prayed. I've prayed. Jesus is still praying. He's praying for Simon. He's praying for every single one of us. Hebrews 7.25. Write this down. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying on our behalf before God every single day. And he's saying, God, accept our church. Here are your people. Satan wants to come after us. But Jesus stands between death and God. Look what happened. Simon, Satan's asked for you. And he may kill you, sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I had to stop on that. I don't know where you're going to continue to go with this passage as you study it this week. I had to stop at that. I had to underline, I had to highlight, strengthen your brothers. So here's in essence what Jesus is saying to every single one of us today. Insert your name. Insert your name as repeated. Aaron, Aaron, Satan's asked for you because he wants to kill you. But I've interceded. I have been the blood. I've been the sacrifice and I'm coming and I'm standing in the places that you can't. I've paid the price for all your sin. I've done everything that you can't. You call me Lord and Savior. I continue to pray and go uh, to God for you on behalf of you. And why am I doing this? That so you may be strengthened. Why? So that you will strengthen your brothers that you will strengthen the church, that you will be part of this, that you will stand in the gap for your brothers, that you will spur each other on to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, 24. This is not about us. This is not all this wasn't done just so we can have a ticket out of hell. This was done, why? So that we could be the church and we could move together and that we could lock arms together and we can strengthen our brothers. How many of you have, have brothers and sisters, the church, that, that you need to stand in, in the gap for them? I mean, they're, they're struggling with things that are hard right now. How many of you are praying for other people? Don't raise your hand. How many of you are praying for other people? And not just to, oh, God, be with them, but a sincere prayer, even fasting for people, saying, God, they're going through times and difficult situations right now, and I am praying for them. I'm standing in the gap for them. I am strengthening that church, that person, that family. I know they're going to go through hard times this week, and I'm praying for them. I'm there with them right now. 
It's not about us. It's about serving. Jesus has given us this example. Some of us this week, we need to call someone for coffee, don't we? We need to call someone up. We need to text somebody. I mean, we need to stand up. Church, it's time to stop being politically correct. Maybe we're going to be able to call someone to greatness this week, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be awkward. But don't think about being politically correct. Think about speaking truth. God's word promises that when we speak truth and we speak it in love, it will always come back. So what are you holding back on this week? Maybe you can even think of someone, a brother or a sister that you can call, you can have coffee with, that you can strengthen. I say this, and I charge you with this. I'll use a fancy church word. I implore you. I implore you to do this this week. Boldly lead them to Christ. Stand in that gap. Be the truth. Represent them. Everything is on the line. Everything's on the line. We see it in this passage. Jesus is looking. He's saying, Simon, Simon, Satan's coming after you. I'm going to continue to pray for you, though. You've got it. As we look at this passage, I had fun with this. We could do this again next week. (laughs) I could. And continue to talk and see the truth that are in this. But as I look at this, the last thing I kind of want to ask us at this point is, do you think you're beyond Satan's reach? If this apostolic leader, Simon, Simon, if this apostolic leader is open to Satan's attack, what about us? Weston was talking a little bit just about the importance of being connected with other people, other believers. And I want to ask us in this room right now, do you know the people here? Are you, are you connected to the body at large? Man, I hope so. I hope that as a church, as, as we move forward, that we make it a priority to go to house churches, that we make it a priority to have coffee with, with the other people of this church, that we make it a priority to, to lock arms and to lock hands with each other and just move forward because together this is great, but individually we're going to get picked off. So church, would you rearrange your schedules? Would you do what you need to do? Would you make this a high priority to strengthen the church at large and to be a part of what God is doing? So what did God show you as we went through these passages right here? Was it about the way that you're leading? Was it the lack of serving? Was it the lack of praying? Was it an awakening that, oh yeah, Satan is after us? Was it an encouraging thing that, to, to be reminded that Jesus is praying on our behalf every single day like he goes to God for us? How, how awesome is that? Or maybe at the bottom it was just this, that I've been living this life for me and I haven't been serving, I haven't been loving. Church, I'm going to ask us right now, if you would, just close your Bible and invite us just into a time of of reflection. What, 
What's God showing you in this passage? What is his Holy Spirit teaching you? What is he prodding you in this moment? Maybe it's just spend a couple moments just quietly. You can close your eyes and if you want to hold your hands out in front of you in just a submission state, say, God, I receive whatever it is you want to show me. God, here I am. Teach me. Speak to me. Here's a cool truth I want to remind us of, church. If you've confessed with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead, that you've given him control of your life, you will be saved. He's in you. Point blank, done deal. God is in you. Everywhere that we go. Some of us have made this life about us and who we are, our actions. It's pretty arrogant. So in this place, if you've given control of your life, just say, God, here it is. Live through this vessel. Go where I go. Help me daily to be reminded that this is you. God, I want to serve and love others like you've served and loved. Maybe ask God in this place to, God, help me. Help me make this not about me, but about you. My entire life about you, about serving others. God, would you continue to speak to us today? Prod in our hearts the thing that you want us to to learn. Beyond that, would you keep showing us who you are? May we align our hearts and our minds with you. God, we thank you for what you've done on our behalf and how much you've loved us and how much you've served us. We pray this week that that comes alive in our hearts and our minds more and more every moment. In this place, I'm going to ask us if we would just just stand and worship God. Maybe you're here and you've never given control of your life to God. Maybe this is the moment where you're saying, God, here's my life. I've tried to live it on my own and it's not working out. I can't pay the price for my sin. I know that you're perfect and God, I'm separated from that love and so God, I surrender control of my life to you. Maybe today's the day that you'll begin to awaken to that. God's calling, he's prodding. Will you respond in that? And church, when we realize how much God has served us and how much he loves us, it causes us and brings us to the point of just worship. I don't know what else to do as a frail human than to raise my hands and say, God, it's about you and I worship you. So in this place, we can worship him in multiple ways. 
We can stand and sing through worship. We can take communion over on the right. We can do offering on the right or left. We can pray with each other. We can go get our kids and and come back and worship. What does it mean for you in this place? And this is where I trust that God is speaking to every single one of us. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for guiding us, teaching us, loving us. Thank you for making this about us because, or about you. Because if it was about us, God, I would, I would not want to be here. Move in us. Align our hearts with yours. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are.